Rafi! You are listening to the F11 Photography Podcast. chasers of light to the purveyors of pictures to all of you listening from around the world this is the f11 photography podcast i am your host kevin deal along with your other host the illustrious brandon Gory. Oh, hello. Hello, Gentry. How are we doing? Uh, I am well. How are you doing? Oh, it is so good to be back. I love waking up early on my Saturdays to uh, get this done. That's awesome because it's Sunday. Uh, point taken. Yeah. So, you know, you get to that point in life where you don't even know the day of the month, the day of the week. Uh, yeah, I've been there, man. Yeah, I, I was in my twenties once. Hey, it's it's called ten ninety nine. This that ten ninety nine life. There are no weekends. That is true. That is true. So, uh, what you been up to, man? Well, I noticed last night on eBay that Leica prices are dropping uh, slightly, which is really exciting because I'll probably not buy Leica. But no, other than that, it's been great. It's been a lot of photo shoots. It's a lot of editing, and we are gearing up for New York City in October. Can't wait to see how all that turns out for you. Uh, yeah, I just got done shooting a couple digitals this morning for some models. Uh, something that I've noticed that's kind of been odd. It's so if you're a photographer listening to this and you shoot portraits, I know you can probably identify with this. Uh, you sit down. You, you, you check your phone and it says that you have a uh, an unread message, uh, incoming message request, and you look, and of course you see at the other time to- at the you also see simultaneously that you just got like sixteen notifications, and you're like okay, was it? it's one of a few things. It's uh you know some traveling model which we talked about in the past who's sliding into your DMs just you know bombarding you with their rates even though they don't say anything positive about your work they're just there to make a buck uh but the other thing that it typically is is a retoucher and you know there's a it, there's a right and a wrong way to to solicit your services um I, I always find that a lot of these retouchers have like no tact whatsoever. They'll just be like, Hey, I offer retouching services, blah, 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 blah. Uh, looks like your photos could use some retouching or something like that. And you're like, Whoa, wait, what? Like, I don't know about you, but in my experience, most of the retouchers who've reached out to me are from Eastern Europe and they don't have that sort of like English knowledge. And so they just go the direct, uh, I get a lot from Vietnam as well. Uh, okay. And, uh, but, but here's the thing. If you're gonna if you're gonna shoot your shot with me, you better be better at retouching than I am, because I don't like. I, I think I do a decent job of retouching. I, I I do a good enough job of retouching to where I can retouch my own portfolio and I feel great about the results. Would I ever consider myself a retoucher? Uh, would I ever go pursue a job as a professional retoucher? No, I do not consider myself to be on that level. But if you're going to approach me about wanting to retouch my work, you better damn well be on that level. And then you better be better than I am because why would I hire somebody? Why would I pay somebody to do a worse job than I could do myself? That just doesn't make a lot of sense. You know, it's not ringing any bells in, uh, in my court either, but but very seldom, I don't know about your experience, but very seldom have the people who reach out to me been uh, terrible in any way, shape, or form. Usually they've got a pretty gnarly portfolio, and I would hire them if most of my work involved beauty. I've, I've had, I mean, I've had, a, I've had, I'd say it's about 50-50 with me. So there are people out there who do retouching that are better than me, but I, I, I put them through, I put them through a, a big, uh, I got, I'll question them. Like, so what, what kind of retouching methods do you use? Oh, I use frequency separation, and then I just like, don't talk to him anymore, but, uh, uh, yeah, frequency separation to me works when you're doing like uh product photography, like clothing and stuff like that. You want it to kind of look 
you know, enhanced almost beyond reality. That's actually the name of the game with certain types of photography. But when you're doing skin retouching, that is absolutely not the name of the game. If you don't do it by hand, you don't do the micro dodging and burning, not a fan. Uh, and that's, you know, the other thing about my work is the reason I retouch my own work is because I, it's, it's my personal work. And I feel like when I hand my work off to somebody else and they start messing with it, that it no longer is a hundred percent my work. Now, if I'm shooting for a paying client and the paying client says, your job is to be the photographer and this other person's job is to be the retoucher. Well, you knew that going in and that's not a big deal. Everybody has their own roles in the project, but for work that I've already done, I don't feel comfortable handing my personal work off to anybody, even if they are better than me, because I want to live and die by my own work. And if I'm handing my work off to other people to make it better, I don't personally feel like it's a hundred percent my work anymore. And, you know, some of you listening out there could completely disagree with me and who am I to tell you otherwise? It's just, that's how I personally roll. You know, yeah, I've, I've thought about this before because, uh, like I said, I'm really talented people have reached out to me and I think it just comes down to like time, you know, if, if, if I'm noticing that there's going to be like three to like 10 photos that are going to enhance my portfolio and they have to be more in the beauty style, um, then I know that, okay, I'm going to be micro dodging and burning with that Huey on tablet that you recommended for at least at least an hour and a half to two hours, uh, a photo. And so it's just one of those things where it's just like, if I don't want to do that, I could very well send this off like to a retoucher and mind you, I get to make that choice. So it's like, if their retouching looks unreal, like obviously I wouldn't work with them, but like I want the retouching that would be uh, like at a beauty kiosk in a mall or something where it's just like an impeccably like natural looking face, but still perfect or like on the side of a JC penny. So I would do that if it was a paid gig, but um, no, for my own personal work, I don't believe that you need to have like a beauty shot level of retouching. I just think that clearing the blemishes and evening the overall skin tone to make someone look um, enhanced is basically as good as you need to get. Agreed. So, uh, so if you are a retoucher out there, uh, maybe get a little tact when you reach out to people. Uh, just, just a thought, but today's sponsor is gamut. So if you are out there and you are in the video world, you find yourself newly in the video world, or maybe you're experienced in the video world and you're just in an artistic rut and you're looking for a LUT, check out the look at, check out the lookup tables that gamut offers pretty much every brand except Fuji. They have, a uh, your log for S log, N log, C log. They even have DJI. They even have Black Magic. They have creative LUTs, so you could do cinema stuff, wedding stuff. And um, they also have base LUTs. So, if you're uh, new to LUTs, uh, it's basically like a preset uh, when you shoot in your your respective log format. So I shoot Canon. I shoot C log three BT seven oh nine. And when I do that, my files look incredibly flat. And of course, that's on purpose because they're trying to maintain as much information as possible to give you as many tools in post-production as possible. But the thing that takes that to the next level is your lookup table, your LUT. So uh, they start around a hundred bucks. Uh, and that when you do your first purchase through Gamut, it's they actually take a 15% off. So you get 15% off that. Uh, check out a link in the description of this podcast, uh, where you can get that, uh, check out the link in the description of this podcast where you can take advantage of that discount today. But on today's episode, uh, you, we've been building up to this over several episodes. So we had Doss Miller in here. You should check out that, that interview that we did. Uh, and he's a Nikon shooter. And I asked him, Hey, what can I expect if I were to shoot on Nikon? And then we had Vanessa joy in here and she uh, told Brandon what to expect if he shot on Canon. So the idea behind today's episode is Brandon and I decided we wanted to do an episode based around swapping camera systems for a day. And we, we put together some criteria. Uh, there's a buildup to this uh, as far as the story is concerned. And and so uh, we we decided that we would you know, see what happens if we switch camera systems, it would force us out of our comfort zones and, and then, uh, you know, really focus on having to, uh, just be in the moment in the picture. Don't rely on the equipment to get us there because we literally just put the camera in our hands. You are listening to the F11 photography podcast. 
I'm not gonna I'm not gonna give Kevin the ultimate the the, the major pleasure here because what what really went down was a heinous uh, was a heinous war crime uh, when we made the switch of cameras and I'll I'll give you a little bit of insight into that right now I'm not gonna I'm gonna let Kevin tell you the full story but so imagine it's a Sunday was it a Sunday. It was. It was a Sunday. Wow, that was like a 50-50 chance. Uh, yeah, so it was. You a- got that day right, <laughs> even though it was two and a half weeks ago or two weeks ago. Go ahead. Yeah, so it was a Sunday, and I pull up around five o'clock to a studio, and I know that Kevin and I are doing a camera switch. Um, he's going to be using my Nikon, and I'm going to be using uh, Kevin's Canon. So I'm tired. I'd, I'd already been shooting for six hours that day. And, you know, it's the, the afternoon scaries had got me and I was pulling up to the studio and I'm hot and I'm sweaty and there's the AC in the studio is not so great. I'm making, you know, there's a bunch of new people there that I'm going to be shooting. It's a new environment. It's a new studio. Not all of it has natural light. There's about three, three, four places to shoot in the studio and, and natural lights only coming through the fourth. And, and so I'm just thinking to myself like, okay, this is a cool spot. Like, you know, we can make it work. Let's, let's absolutely do it. The models are, models are here. Let's rock it out. And then Kevin comes in and so Kevin and I, we walk into this like corner space on the second story loft area of the studio. It's very small. I pull out my Nikon. I very courteously and, and, and sweatily, I, I, t- I give Kevin the rundown of my Nikon and how it works and what Kevin's going to look for because I know how Kevin shoots. And Kevin, I turn over to see what he's got. And all I see is Kevin with a shit-eating grin, just just losing it. Go on. Yes, yes. We'll, we'll get to that here in a second. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll play Brandon's reaction to my dirty trick. But uh, the build-up to this was kind of interesting. So, you know, Brandon and I, we, you know, we shoot with a lot of professional models. And, oh, hey, my, 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 my uh, computer just uh, decided to bark at me. Sorry about that. Brandon and I, we, we shoot. Uh, with professional models a lot. And we knew that if we were going to do a camera swap episode that we really couldn't do a, a very important shoot. We couldn't do super, like, I don't want to say important because I don't, I don't know if that's the right word, but we couldn't do work that could really put our asses on the line with a, an agency or something like that. So we had to have a scenario that worked for us. And our friend Karen was really cool. She had uh, this this time at this uh, at the studio, the one that Brandon just described. So it was just basically like an 1,100 square foot box. And three white walls, one black wall. And the lead up to it, I was like, I was like, okay, well we need to, we need to get some models, uh, that we can get each, each photographer would show up with one model. And then after every 20 minutes you would swap models. So that way you, you, you'd be three, three photographers shooting for an hour with three models shooting for an hour or being shot for an hour. And then after 20 minutes, you would switch over to a different wall and have a different model and so on and so forth. And you know, in the two, three weeks leading up to this, of course, I'm usually Johnny on the spot and getting my models lined up. I, uh, on my Instagram story, put out a, a little ad saying, Hey, there's a TFP shoot coming up. We're just going to do, uh, you know, some networking and so on and so forth. And, uh, the way I typically approach that is I put out the ad and then I just go check my, uh, I check my inbox, uh, you know, a couple hours later and however many responses I get, I get. And then I usually choose the first person who responds, assuming that I, you know, they got a good, good look that I want to shoot. And sure enough, the very first person who responded, I was like, cool, I want to work with this, with this model. So I, I told her, yeah, let's, let's, let's do this. And then I, 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 you know, responded to the other models saying, Hey, I already found somebody to fill this, but thanks for the inquiry. I'm great. I'm good to go. Right. And so 48 hours before the shoot starts, uh, that particular model, uh, texts me and is like, Hey, I got this paid gig, uh, I need to do. And of course I'm not one of those people who's like, Oh, fuck you. You canceled the last minute. If you got a paid gig, I will always give a model like, like any, any clients. Like if you got a paid gig, you got a paid gig. This is for me to figure out. We're not making money here. You're not getting paid, uh, shooting with me. So I have to, I have to take that one. Uh, for the team and say, okay, great. Yeah. Go, go do your paid gig. It's totally fine. And so I found myself 48 hours before the shoot without a model. And I'm like, Oh, okay. So I'm like, I go back to like, I, I, of course now at this point it's 48 hours and all the models who originally responded have all made plans for the weekend. Cause it's 48 hours They're you know, whatever they're, they have shoots lined up. They're going to go see the new Barbie movie on a date, whatever. So I don't have anybody at this point. I'm like, ah, oh, shit. So I was like, okay, well I'll put out another ad again. And so I put out an ad again on my Facebook store. I'm not on my Facebook story, my Instagram story. And 
I, 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 a couple couple hours later, I see a message in my inbox and un, uh, or message request, and I'm like, okay, cool. What is this? You know, and I, I didn't realize like it seems like anytime I ever put out a a TFP request in my story, it really like puts that out to people who aren't my followers. I've, I've had modeling agencies reach out to me in those situations. So anyway, I, I go to check my message request, and it's this fucking Ukrainian model who signed with Elite. Who's like, what, what do you have going on? I want to shoot with you. And I'm like, uh, wait, no. I mean, she's like with elite Miami and elite Los Angeles. Like she's with two, two, two of their, the elite divisions. And if you're a listener and you're wondering what elite models is, like if you just type in like top five modeling agencies in the world, they show up. And so, you know, we opened this episode by saying, Hey, this isn't exactly something we would want to do with a professional model. And the reason why it's not that we devalue the shoot or anything like that. It's the, it's a model who has a fully developed book usually and the quality of work that they're doing, they're doing campaigns for major brands and stuff like that. And what we're doing here is it's, it's just a networking event. We're having fun. Right. And so it's probably a waste of their time. So I'm, I'm just like all awkwardly like, Oh, um, I'm super flattered. You saw my advertisement. I'm super flattered that you looked at my work and thought enough of it to reach out to me to ask me about this. I'm, I'm totally flattered, but how about we do a shoot in the future where I get you a stylist, I get an actual concept put together, and that way you may have something for your book for elite models. I don't think this is a good fit for you. <laughs> but I was like, <laughs> I was not expecting, like, you know, typically for these types of, of situations, you expect a model who's just like getting going and getting started to respond. I did not expect an elite models model to like slide into my DMs. It just makes you wonder what's going on with the algorithm. Because that'll happen like every now and again to me as well. Not Not like like ads, but just... Like I'll, I'll make a story that's so pertinent to my life. Like, you know, like what, what's the best, you know, frozen fruit to go into a, you know, smoothie, morning smoothie. And I'll get like someone replying from fucking like London that I've never met before. They're just like, oh yeah, no, like, you know, you should probably go with frozen strawberries. And I'm just like, what? Huh, who? Who are you? <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. What? It is, it is, it is odd. I actually, uh, yeah, it's, it's weird. But anyway, so I found myself, uh, scrambling and you know, the only inquiry I got is somebody that's like, I'm not going to let you do this shoot with me. You're going to be so bored. And so I, I, I you know, I, I messaged Karen and I'm like, I'm like, Hey, I don't, and this is of course a day later. So we're about 24 hours to the shoot. And I'm like, Hey Karen, I don't have a model. And she's like, well, you're Kevin deal. You'll find a model. I'm like, what the fuck does that even mean? And, and so I finally like one of the earlier models that responded two, three weeks earlier, uh, she, she's, you know, she's got a day job. She's super busy. So she didn't respond to my, Hey, my model fell through. Do you want to do it? She's a really awesome model named Lauren. Um, I actually shot her wedding, but, uh, she, she responded and I finally, the last minute got a model lined up. And so we're good to go. And, and so to Brandon's point, Brandon was talking about how, Oh, we, you know, we show up and there's all this stuff going on. And, uh, and, and, and so Brandon talks about how we show up and we're, we're, you know, pulling out our, our cameras and we're, 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 you know, setting everything up, but here's, here's, here's what it sounded like. So hang tight. Yes. Okay. All right. So tell me about, tell me about the, what, what are we, what are we working with here? Okay. So we got a Nikon Z6, uh, pretty, pretty simple stuff. The only thing that's going to be different from your Canon, from what you described, is just basically this is going to be shutter speed, and this is going to be aperture. Okay. Um, How do I hit ISO? Pull. ISO button and then scroll? Yep. All right. Remember right there? And if, if you need anything, you just hit the information button, and I've programmed it so that everything you could possibly need is there. I have it set to monochrome currently, but... Keep it there. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I don't even want to fuck with... Uh... I don't even want to fuck with the uh, white balance right now. <laughs> yeah. So I told Brandon, like, keep, keep it in monochrome because like I'm in a new camera system. Like I don't even want to dick with white balance. I know it was an auto white balance, but I was like, yeah, that's, let's just, let's just keep it in monochrome. Yeah. Plus, plus at a shoot like that, where it's, you know, totally new circumstances, new surroundings, just, you know, being thrown into a, into a box like that. It helps to, uh, to, to shoot with our, our native native way of seeing, which for me is monochrome, and I think that's the same way for you. Yeah, I feel like like let's let's get into the the bare basics of everything, and monochrome does that for me. So, yeah, just give me just give me monochrome. I'll uh, go in later, and if I decide I like Nikon colors, I'll, I'll see it that's, and capture one. That's pretty much it. And then the autofocus is right here. Wait, then, wait, wait, where? Yeah, back button. Right back here. Button. Okay, now what? Okay, that's the other thing. 
Uh, is it like in single point? So whatever's it, in the box it that is. this is on? So AF single, here's AF continuous. Okay, does it have eye detect? Um, uh, it does. That would be a, that's okay if it doesn't. No, it does when it's auto area, so that way it'll. I'll figure it out. Pick things up. I'll just shoot shadow. I, I just won't shoot shallow depth of field. I mean, it's an F4. I can't fuck it up that bad. No, you. Yeah, so Brandon, as I've given him all sorts of shit on this uh, podcast, shoots an F4 lens, and I'm, I'm a 1.2 type of guy. So uh, the, the depth of field wasn't going to be an issue, so that's awesome. But uh, the autofocus, we'll get into that in a little bit, but uh, that was a bit challenging. What are you talking about? I shoot on this camera like all the time and I like barely miss any shots. Oh, uh, that was that is a false thing. You you missed a ton of shots in the studio, but anyway. Uh, that was fixed. No, when you when you put the Godox trigger on it, it, it changes things. Right it, on. It illuminates the uh, the back screen, which I was having trouble with. But right. go on, go for it. Hey, this is Malika Gradic and you're listening to the F eleven photography podcast. Alright, so you ready? Yes. Do you like surprises? Yes. All right. Here's your camera today. <laughs> you <sh> <laughs> <laughs> made my life so difficult, Kevin. Yes, yes. So, so yeah, uh, I pulled the big reveal on Brandon. And Brandon, what did I pull out of my bag? You pulled out a Fuji GFX with a fucking bellowed RB67 lens on it. Yeah, uh, I, I decided to, to pull a fast one on him. So we had a, a buddy that I, I talked about in the opening of my episode, our episode that we did last week, uh, which was uh, this guy, Noe, who's a mutual friend of ours. We were hanging around, and he, he's actually the one who got me uh, hooked up with the pro photo lights uh, that I talked about at the beginning of one of our episodes. And he and I were talking about uh, the possibility. Uh, the, the, I was telling him about this episode where I was going to do a Brandon, and we, we, were, we were both kind of thought, hey, we should fuck with Brandon. And I was like, yeah, I should give him my GFX and put a fucking uh, 6x7, a 50-year-old 6x7 lens with no aperture ring and uh, manual focus on there. And so Noe, uh, Noe got the assist on that. And so, uh, yeah, another another reveal that Brandon is just finding out right now. That was a living hell. And also, Noe's going to pay for that. I don't know how I'm going to get retribution, but but Noe will definitely pay for that. You hear that, Noe? You're going to get some. All right, let's, let's continue the conversation here. So, uh, you're shooting medium format today if, <laughs> with a, with a 50 year old lens on it. <laughs> with the depth of field of like a fingernail, bro. No, 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 because it's six by seven. It, it, the maximum aperture on that's like three point something. Okay. So I don't think it has a battery in it. So let me get you one. Where's the cannon? It's, uh, it's, uh, it's got the night off. I, I... <laughs> so Brandon didn't know. What Brandon didn't know is I have two compartments in my bag. I actually had the Canon in another compartment just in case he folded and just couldn't fucking make it work. But at this point in time, he has no idea. Brandon doesn't fold. Did you break it? No, I didn't break it. I just thought it would be a much better exercise for you if you, you were forced to get out of your comfort zone even more. Because all you got to do at Nikon is reverse everything. That's that's not a challenge. This is supposed to be a challenge. So here, turn it turn it upside down. Okay. There you go. There's your battery. You put that in there like that. All right. Now with the Fuji, I it's come on. in here telling you my brain is fried and everything. You're just like, oh wait. Okay. So now there's a photo deox adapter on this. Okay. So this is this this emulates the bellows of a six by seven focus. Oh, for God's sake. And this you're gonna have to get used to this because this is your aperture right here. This is a smooth aperture. You don't even know what aperture you're at. Okay, I want to talk about that for a second. So if you're not familiar with the camera that this originally went on, I need to I need to get the the listener up to speed on that. So, you know, when you have a DSLR style camera, you know, you hold it in your hand. If you want to adjust your uh your, your shutter speed, it's typically a dial on the front, a dial on the back, or if you're a Fuji XT user, it's a dial on the top. Either way, it's a dial of some sort. And if you adjust the aperture ring, if you're the PASM style, like Brandon and I are on Canon and Nikon, it's another dial usually. And then if you're a Fuji user, sometimes there's a clickable aperture ring on your lens itself. And Brandon shoots a clickable aperture ring on his Mamiya 645 medium format film camera. And in this case, we're using its bigger brother, the Mamiya 67 lenses. And if you shoot on a Mamiya 67, it also has a clickable aperture ring. But in addition to that, 
when you focus with a big camera like a Mamiya 6.7, it has a bellow system. So if you guys remember, if you guys have seen like those old timey cameras where the guy puts his head in there and it looks like there's like an accordion type thing as it moves back and forth, that's the bellows. And so in order to take a six by seven lens and put it on any sort of SLR type body, you need to emulate a bellow system. And so there's a big focus ring on this adapter, this photo deox adapter that moves the lens forward and backward, just like on a bellow system. But that in and of itself is not that big of a deal. That's just like manual focus. Um, at the end of the day, it kind of translates to manual focus where the real challenge was, was on the aperture. And so I talked about an aperture ring. You click it, it's at f5.6. You click it, it's at f8. You click it, it's at f11. You have stepped uh, repeatable places you can go to on a medium format film camera or in, if you're a Fuji user on a clickable aperture ring for a Fuji camera, a uh, modern digital SLR. But in this case, this photo deox adapter, because you're actually using a leaf shutter lens that has a clickable aperture ring on it, you can't adjust the aperture uh, at the at the lens itself because of the way it communicates. So there has to be this variable uh, ring. And so the variable ring on the photo DX adapter, you don't know what aperture you're at. Talk about that, Brandon. Yeah, that was a nightmare. Uh, I really didn't like that. Um, thinking back to it right now, I'm actually like, I, I can remember viscerally just how much I didn't like that. So a little bit about the aperture is what Kevin's using a lot of math to describe and a lot of, a lot of technical terms to just basically say that, okay, there was no steps on the aperture and I'll just tell you what the experience is like. Okay. So you've got your hand on the aperture ring and you turn it about an eighth of an inch in, in circumference. And then the aperture is wide open and then you reverse it about an eighth of an inch and your picture goes black. So you've got an eighth of an inch of space to go from 2.8 or whatever the fuck it was to you don't have an image. So God knows at what aperture I was shooting in there. And I can tell you right now, no single photo was within even one or two stops of the same aperture. Why? And I'm getting ahead here because I'm sure Kevin wants to like give me like another three hours of context. But why was everything so like stops away from each other? Because the aperture ring was so sensitive that you could accidentally like just like hit it on your your hand as your as your hands trying to look for the focusing ring, and suddenly the the photo goes dark. So I could take a photo. And I go to change focus and my pinky grazes the aperture ring and suddenly I have to adjust and figure out because that's like you have one eighth of an inch of throw to figure out where your camera, like where the aperture is open. But that throw is also like a two inches around the camera. So you're just there just twisting this fucking thing. And then it suddenly it just goes, oh, there's light. Then there's not light. Oh, so there's light. Then there's not light. So it's like, it's not like you're progressively getting darker and lighter. It's literally like on one small little like notch of the entire aperture ring, your your lens is open and it would actually close by itself sometimes throughout the shoe. It was an absolute nightmare. <laughs> okay, so I put things into three categories uh, in this scenario of handing somebody a camera and saying, go. There are things that you end up doing that you like about the camera. There are things that you absolutely, no matter what you hate about the camera, and then there are things that you you hate, but the reason you hate him is because you literally just got handed a camera and it's something that you can learn. I will say that when I first got that photo deox adapter, that it was a pain in the ass uh, when you touched the, the, you know, you'd bump the aperture ring and then you'd lose your, your, your aperture you're at and all of a sudden it'd go dark. I will say that there is an art to it and that over time you can learn how to use that adapter to where you don't bump it no, no, and you no, can keep no, the aperture no, no, locked no, it, in. It's very different. It's very different. It's it's you bump the aperture and suddenly you're back to square one and you have to look at the model and say, okay, hold on. My entire exposure triangle just went into the shitter. Let me re let me just set up my camera like I just took it out the camera bag one, one more time. And, and I did that probably... 30 times throughout the entire shoot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So about 10 times per model. Yeah, yeah. And so and so there's there's what Kevin says, which is something that can be learned 
which is how a camera shoots, which is the feel of a new lens, which is understanding the different dials and approaches that a camera has and how it handles light and different color and skin renderings. That's something you can learn. This is something that is more difficult to capture photos on than like... Just, than, just shooting than, film. Than, than <laughs> it literally like shooting film on like the, the word... Like the Holga is a lot easier to manage than this. Like I could, I could nail my shots on a Holga very confidently this camera this wasn't something to learn this is just like okay like let's let's just hop on the short bus let's shoot myself in the foot and then see how far i can run in a marathon that's what this was <laughs> it was a it was an exercise and 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 getting into your inner strength and learning about yourself so I will. Okay. So, so the, the aperture thing was definitely a challenge. I'm going to talk a little bit about shooting on the Nikon. Uh, so my initial impressions of the Nikon, uh, I liked the grip. So it has a soft grip on the front. Uh, most cameras. Uh, so I shoot on a Canon not the Brandon would know what that's, what that experience is like, <laughs> but, uh, Canon has a solid grip on it. Uh, the Fuji uh, has a solid grip on it. You can talk about that here in a second, the ergonomics of it. Um, but, the, there's like a soft grip on the front of the Nikon, which I, I found to be really awesome. I, I thought it was very comfortable to shoot on, uh, fit in my hand really well. Uh, things that I didn't like, and this may be one of those learning things, but like on the Nikon to change the ISO, I had to hold a button down and then move a dial. It wouldn't just like, I, I would, I would want just, I push the button down, a thing pops up and then I scroll the ISO to what I want it to be. I don't want to have to hold a button down. Now, is there, is there a way you can turn that off or is that just how Nikon works? That is, you can totally do that. You can adjust ISO on the touch screen. When I press, when I press the information button, you can program the ISO to be a one, on one of those things. You just boink, touch it and then slide it across as you want. But I love that feature because it means I can change every setting in my camera with just my right hand, and that's mm -hmm. it. For whatever reason, it didn't gel with my the way way I like my ergonomics. But that's uh, that's a uh, that's just my my, my takeaway, my initial takeaway on it. Um, I left it in a zone focus mode, and uh, that turned out to be a huge mistake. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So okay, I, I, I so Go so on. so the screen on it. <clears throat> I I'm, I'm assuming because I don't know the Nikon ecosystem, but the screen on it like. The Z6, I think, is the Nikon equivalent of the Canon R6. So I think new back in the day, it might have been around a $2,000, $2,500 camera. Is that about right? Thereabouts, yeah. Okay, yeah, so it's and it's like in the 20-something megapixel range, right? 24.6. Yeah, that's. I think that's exactly what an R6 is. The original R6 is, is 24.6. So it, it's meant to compete with the R6. And one of the, the things on the R6 that when you compare it to, I believe, like the R5, the R5C, and some of those nicer Canon cameras like the R3 is that the screen on it isn't the greatest for viewing. And so I would take a picture and I would zoom in and it, it looked like it was in focus. Well, it turned out I missed over half of my shots on that camera, leaving it in zone focus. Like I miss those shots. Whereas uh, if when I shoot on a Fuji X series, I'm not going to say Fuji. Uh, I'm not going to say Fuji GFX, which is what Brandon shot on, because even though he didn't shoot autofocus on it, the autofocus on that camera is not that great anyway. He probably would have missed some shots even if I gave him an autofocus lens. Which, by the way, I did have a I did have a, a 63 millimeter, which is the equivalent of 50 millimeter. I had that in the bag too, just in case he just gave up on the on the six by seven lens. So I have backup plans for him. But going back to the Nikon, zone focus turned out to be a huge mistake. I should have gone into like like a, one of those smaller. I don't know what they call it single single point on Nikon, like where it's just a box. You know, it's interesting you say that. I'll just I'll just tell you right now. Um, I haven't paid so much attention to that. Um, I I've kept it on one single box, and when we went into the studio that day and you asked me to like go to the one that like worked, I couldn't even tell you. I, like I've been using the same one for so long and it does go green when when the focus hits because I was noticing that in the studio yesterday. I'm like, wait a second, this does go green. I just it's like second nature. I don't even think about it anymore. Yeah. It, and it, and it sucked because, uh, I mean, I don't, there, there were two other models. There was a, there was Kelsey and there was a Gabriella, but I've worked with Lauren several times and you know, sorry if she's listening, but there were a couple shots where I knew she fucking nailed it. Like I could see from her pose, but she's so out of focus. Like it wasn't even like a possibility to take it into like topaz. Like it fucking missed. It, it was like focused on something seven feet in front of her and she was just bokeh. And so I'm like, Oh man, that was the shot. Now, thankfully we got, I, I mean, looking through the files, 
I think we got some good shots. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about the Nikon colors. So I, we, as you heard at the top of the episode, when we started, uh, uh, you know, letting this whole, uh, process unfold, we talked about shooting in monochrome only. I decided that I was going to, uh, challenge myself a little bit. Cause you know, I, I got the easy route definitely compared to Brandon. And so I was like, well, I'm going to, I'm going to challenge myself because if I am going to switch a camera system, I'm going to throw some of these shots in the color and I'm going to see what I can get done with the Nikon colors. Now with, with Kelsey and we're going to, by the way, we're going to post all of these pictures at f11pod.com slash swap. That's f11pod.com slash swap S W A P. We're going to pick, we're going to post like our favorite three shots of each model. We'll post some behind the scenes shots. That way, when you hear us talking about stuff, you have a way to go and reference what we're talking about. But um, Kelsey, uh, all of her shots were in monochrome and, uh, that was, uh, the second model I shot with. But when I went back in, uh, I looked at some of these shots that I took of Lauren, who was the first model I worked with. And I threw a lot of her shots into color. And I will say, um, I like the Nikon colors. Uh, I thought they did an incredible job. The thing that really threw me off with Nikon was the white balance. I found myself having to, uh, de green things. Uh, I found that everything was super fucking green with the Nikon. Um, and so, uh, especially like in the highlights. And so I was having to move my capture one slider over a little bit. Uh, but as you look through the shots that I took, um, I really like went to, you know, when, when you throw yourself in a situation where you're like, Oh my God, I have this new camera. I have no idea what's going on. Um, you tend to, you know, be like water. You take the path path of least resistance. And so I took what the room gave me and the room really gave me a lot of minimalist vibes. I mean, just big ass white walls. And so I was like, and negative space. And so I took the models and I was like, all right, I'm going to build these very negative space type scenes around them and, and see what I can pull off. And I think all three models did a, a really good job, but the, the Nikon colors, like, uh, and it, I think this is a characteristic of zoom lenses is I, you know, zoom lenses tends to be softer Well, they, they are softer than prime lenses. Um, and I tend to shoot on prime lenses, but I find that, uh, like, so even like my Canon RF 28 to 70, uh, F2, when I shoot on it, it has just this different vibe than my prime lenses. It, I, I, the word I always think of is like a magazine look. And I found that, uh, Brandon's, uh, he had a 24 to 70 F4 lens, which I also felt like gave me kind of a magazine type look kind of in the same, you know, same vibe as my 28 to 70 F2 that I shoot on Canon. Uh, and I just think it's a characteristic of, uh, uh of zoom lenses. Uh, I thought it did a really good job. Um, the, you know, obviously, uh, the, 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 cause I shoot at 1.2 F2 F you know, 2.8. Uh, the fact that it was an F4 lens really, really fucked my world up. Um, I found that even though like, so the space we shot in, it was, it was a, a mixture of natural light. And then they had like just shitty, like, uh, fluorescent lights above, which of course totally screw up your white balance, which is why I started off in, uh, in monochrome. But uh, as I challenged myself, I was able to to get those those colors the way I wanted to get them. But um, I, you know, overall, I thought the experience of shooting on Nikon was great. My takeaway is that most of the things that I didn't like about it are things that I just didn't know I could uh, change because I literally just got handed a camera five seconds ago and was like sink or swim. And uh, you know, the things that I ran into, obviously, there was the zone focus issue. Um, the colors were, were, were workable, more muted, like you said. But, uh, the other thing is just like at one point in time, I hit a button somewhere and I could no longer, like, no matter how many times I hit the little thing near the eyepiece, the viewfinder, I couldn't look through the viewfinder. So I ended up having to shoot through the, through the, uh, the LCD screen, the rest of the, the rest of the shoot somehow halfway through, I bumped it. I don't know what I did. I literally, I did that yesterday, but yeah, no, it has, it has like three modes. There's uh there's monitor only, there's viewfinder only, and then there's prioritized viewfinder, which is nice. So it's, it's, um, you can look at the LCD screen on the back. And then when you put your eye up to the viewfinder, it just goes to the viewfinder, which is nice. This is Katrina Brown. And you're listening to the F11 photography podcast. I talked about the Nikon. I talked about the things that, uh, I liked about it. Uh, it is absolutely a professional, uh, camera system. I mean, obviously you can just look at Brandon's work. Clearly you can make money off that camera. Uh, and I talked about my hits, which I'm sharing on the f11pod.com website slash swap, uh, for you personally, were you able to get any hits at all on the GFX? Um, 
kind of kind of like your experience um the shots that i was most looking forward to editing i brought them up on capture one and uh, they were just so painfully um out of focus and the the quality of the out of focus like the quality of the blur is actually it was really strange but um i didn't uh maybe one one in five of my shots was in focus and <laughs> it was i I'll, I'll be I'll be brutally honest is I didn't have the uh, the mental bandwidth in the moment to even notice anything about the camera like all I was focused on because like okay like just to let you guys know like it's got an RB or RZ67 lens on it with a bellow adapter as well those are like solid brass lenses and they are so heavy the can the GFX 100 as well in and of itself is also really heavy so it's 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 so so just to just to get everybody calibrated here I gave him a 50 millim what, what, what I gave him about a normal field of view which in the world of uh it's funny. It's actually a 50 millimeter, but then in six by seven, it goes down to like 28. But then when you go back to a three by four aspect ratio on a GFX, it kind of zooms back into normal field of view. But anyway, just, just to give you an idea of size, it's more or less like a 70 to 200 2.8, but with a much stout, more stout front barrel. It's very, very front heavy, but continue. Yeah. So, so the, the whole process of, of just getting a photo taken was incredibly difficult and I don't want to beat a dead horse, but it was like, it was like, I'd have to just, you know, nurture and, and baby this aperture ring to where it was like, okay, it's light. I can't adjust it anymore, make it a bit lighter or a bit darker because I risk losing the shot and I've only got like 20 minutes with each model, you know? So I'm like, I'm still in the camera. I'm still mentally working with this camera. And that's even before I'm even looking at the model. Just before I'm even just like, oh, like, is she looking in the right direction? Does she even look good? I'm, you know, I'm worried about like, can I even get this shot exposed? And how do I check to see if I'm in focus? And it has that little like manual, uh, manual focus, like that, that red schema that goes across the depth of people. Yeah, focus. Yeah, they call that focus peaking. So if you're listening at home, uh, when you throw your lens into manual focus, you'll see things light up super bright red or maybe uh, green or white. And that just lets you know what's in focus when you're in manual. But go ahead. Right. And so I I tried to like navigate with that. And I wasn't I also wasn't used to uh, like the depth of field. Like I was at like an F 5.6 and it wasn't super bright. So I was like at F 5.6, which, of course, was shallower than I was used to with a standard full frame camera. And also trying to manage the aperture. Well, I mean, I say f five point six. I don't know what I was at. I was, I was well, like, I was hovering between whatever I could get. Yeah, you're you're probably yeah. Who who knows? That's that's the, but that's the thing about that that uh, not knowing at what what aperture you're at it just forces you. Once you learn it though, it forces you to go. Okay, I'm stuck here now. Make it work. Well, it's not a run and gun setup. That's a tripod setup in a studio. That's a very patient. It's a very like okay, we're gonna like take our time. We're going to gently move this ring and see the depth of field change as we're aimed at a model's face kind of thing. Like what did you find yourself, uh, keeping your, uh, did, didn't we put it in auto ISO mode or no, no. I, I, I despise auto ISO. You said that it, they can, the camera handles ISO really well. And me being conservative, I was just like, mm, we'll see. We'll see. So I kept it, um, um, I kept it lucid. Or fluid, rather, and I kept changing the ISO. What uh, what's the highest you got it to? Oh, I think the highest I got it to was like eight thousand, something like that. Yeah, but the the noise wasn't too bad on that at eight thousand. No, it was. I I did not have a noise problem in Capture One, and that's that was something I I appreciated. Um, yeah, because because your camera once that bitch hits like twenty four ish, it's like okay, I have a very small sensor here. It's not small sensor, but it, I noticed that like. Yeah, anything beyond that, it was like, nope, it started getting too noisy. Yeah, I've yeah, I've gotten to eight thousand on that thing. It's not it's not too bad. Like you know that it's noisy, but it's like if for Instagram and like web images, it's definitely passable. Yeah, I think I had to use no, you know, I didn't end up using noise reduction because I wanted to live and die by my shots. Right. So, uh, I didn't I didn't do anything. I didn't do any sharpening. Uh, I really like so when you look at my files that I'm sharing on on our website, they are 
just, you know, I did skin retouching when I needed to. Um, that's another thing that I found about it being 20. Some people think this is a good thing. I, I personally don't like this being, I don't like this, which is being that it was only a 24 megapixel file. I would be like, all right, uh, I see some like discoloration on the face and I'd start zooming in and then it would start pixelating because it was such a small file. I'm like, oh, whereas I'm used to like, my smallest camera, I mean, I shoot on an XT20 for fun, a little street camera that's about the same size as this, but all my cameras are at least 40 megapixels and they're all the way up to hundred megapixels. So like I could shoot somebody on the other side of the room and zoom into their face and still retouch their face if I wanted to with the Fuji. Uh, but, uh, what did, what, what were your thoughts handling the files? I know this is not a, uh, ideal example because you're, you're putting an older lens on there. Uh, you maybe you miss some of your settings because you know, you may be over underexposed, but overall, what were your, what were your thoughts on the files? The files were interesting. Um, <clears throat> I know you talked about, and you, you've talked about this in a lot of product or a lot of uh, podcast episodes is that there's a, there's a margin of, of gray before you reach black. And that's, that was one thing I was excited for upon opening the files in capture one and for whatever reason, I don't know how I fucked up or what I did importing them in, but I didn't get that. In fact, most of the photos were extremely high contrast and in their native color uh, were extremely like like punchy. And I was just like, I don't know what to do. That's, with that's the lens. So that's 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 that six by seven lens uh, highlights blowout easier on it um, and things like that. And uh, I don't think that this was a good example for you to experience those extra shades of black. I think a, you need to use a native lens, which you weren't doing. And B, uh, as a lot of you will see in the pictures that we're sharing, this is a very high key room and there aren't a lot of opportunities for it to get dark enough to get pure black. So if you're shooting a low key studio shoot, you know, moody lighting where things fade definitely to black, that's where you'll really experience that more. So, yeah. Yeah. So so basically, uh, everyone that's listening is everything that Kevin has celebrated about this camera. Um, every every last I detail, handicapped it. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, I wasn't able to enjoy whatsoever. So upon opening the files in Capture One, they were all uh, heavily contrasted, which means you know the sliders didn't you know couldn't do dick. I've got a high dynamic range file with a really high contrast lens on there, which basically means that. The sliders don't act normally, which made them almost fucking useless. So like if I wanted to up my shadows or blacks, those are basically the same slider because the contrast was so high and the dynamic range was so high that upping my shadows and upping my blacks basically did the same thing mm. if I wanted to bring the photo out. And then, like you said, with blown out highlights, if I wanted to increase the exposure because I couldn't use the blacks or the shadows to kind of like balance the image, the highlights would be blown out immediately. So... You ask what it was like handling the files. It was inconclusive. It was terrible. If I wanted to get the contrast that I could have gotten naturally with my Nikon, granted, I'm not shitting on the camera. You gave me a, a very crazy setup that I, I would take me weeks to get used to. Took me a while. Yeah, I would have to go in and mag uh, uh, manually dodge and burn to get my files to look anywhere near something that I'd want to uh, show the world, <laughs> to be honest. We're, but, okay, so that aside, did you did you nail any shots? Uh, yes, I nailed a couple of shots. And when I say nailed a couple of shots, I mean uh, I didn't nail the shots I wanted to nail is I more or less had to pick from... The, fo the photos in focus and then go, okay, what are the best of these? So I think, I think the next natural <laughs> logical progression in this conversation is, is I should let you borrow my GFX with the native lenses, with autofocus, with an aperture ring. And then you should let me borrow your Mamiya 645 and we should do a swap episode based off of that. Cause you don't have any other cameras to loan me other than your Nikon, uh, whatever that 35 millimeter is. And I don't like shooting 35 millimeters. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've got a, I've got a roll of flex, but did, 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 did this experience intrigue you to want to learn a little bit more about the camera shooting it no, the way it was no, meant to be that's shot? That's the thing, Kevin, like that is, um, that's what I'm trying to tell you is I don't want to come in here and be a Scrooge, but it was a terrible experience. I didn't have, there wasn't like, there wasn't a single moment of relief from picking up the camera to finishing the files. I was just like, God, this is the most grueling, like nothing works. <laughs> It was so terrible. I wish I could come in here and say like, oh, there was this, you know, redeeming factor where like I was just like, God, I'm smacked by the, I, and I, w I wasn't, 
I just simply, I wasn't, and I just, you know, I went after that. I'll tell you what I did is I looked up a, a GFX, you, you know, just YouTube review where some guy went out into the wilderness and shot like, you know, sunrise in Australia. And I was just like, okay, let's just see. I just, I needed, I needed more, you know, I couldn't come out of that experience and go like, fuck, like there's nothing here. I needed to see what it could do. We heard that folks. He said he needed more. So I think we are going to do a part two swap. And this time he'll know he's getting the Fuji GFX and I will hook him up with a 35 to 70 zoom. I'll hook him up with a 63, hook him up with the 45 and I'll hook him up with a 110, which is basically in the, the, the full frame world. It's your 35, your 50 and your, uh, 85 primes. And then a practical, like, uh, I think like a 28 to 50 roughly for the zoom. So that'll, that'll give you, that'll give you some, 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 and I, I think you should par, I think you should borrow it for like a week Then you should try it on a location shoot and you should try it on a studio shoot. And I've got the triggers of course here in our studio. You can use, it's no different than shooting on your Nikon, but you may want me around for the studio shoot just in case you run into shit with your flash. Yeah, no, it's, it was the, the idea of, of shooting a hundred megapixels and like, you know, it's a tank, you know, it really is a tank. It's a slow moving, you know, Paris gun, but like when it hits, it hits. And that's what I, that's what I know about the camera. I know that it's a slow moving, you know, behemoth. I know that the quality is insane. I know that the, the, the depth or not the depth, the, the lateral, the dynamic range is absolutely insane. Um, it just got, had to be in the right time and place and with the right lens to take advantage of that. Yeah, I uh I have to take full responsibility for ruining this experience for Brandon, but it created a better experience for all of you. Thank you. That does it for today's episode. I want to thank Karen Lawler for putting together that uh get together with all the photographers so it gave Brandon and I a venue to uh complete this exercise. Uh, thank each and every one of you for listening. Check us out at the f11pod.com. That's f11pod.com. You can also uh, use the handle f11pod on Instagram and Twitter and all the other uh, social medias out there. So until next time, kids, chase light and not algorithms. Thank you for listening to today's episode. For more information about this podcast, go to www.f11pod.com.